Special thanks to our Season 10 title sponsor, Bio520. In a world where industrial methods have taken a toll on plant health, Bio520 is a beacon of hope. Drawing from ancient agricultural wisdom and modern biophysics, this all-natural additive is a powerhouse of essential minerals sourced from Japan's rich mountain ranges. It's more than a nutrient, it's a lifeline to your plants. Bio520 is incredibly easy to use. Just add it to your existing irrigation system and watch the magic happen. The results? A chemical-free, shorter growth cycle, robust plants, and significantly reduced water usage. Bio520 doesn't just boost growth, it builds resilience. Plants become more resistant to pests and diseases, ensuring healthier yields. Whether you're a commercial grower or a hobbyist, Bio520 fits right into your setup, enhancing everything from germination to harvest. To learn more, visit bio520usa.com and join the movement towards a greener, more sustainable future in agriculture. With Bio520, you're not just growing plants, you're nurturing a legacy. I made a prototype, a functional prototype, where I was able to grow a few plants using aeroponic. The information was very limited at the time, and I part of the thesis was to approach the agronomic studies, which were not my background at all. So I studied and I learned a little bit, and I was able to grow a few plants. And at the time, it was kind of impressive, right? It had a lot of impact there in the university. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ag tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast, Season 10. Regular listeners to the show, if you've been here since season one, episode one, if you've just recently discovered the show, thank you so much for continuing to come back, for sticking with us during this break between seasons, and for supporting the show for everything you do, sharing episodes, sharing the podcast, sharing links to the socials, resharing, retweeting, anything that you're doing to support what we're doing is extremely appreciated. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. There's been a lot happening behind the scenes. You may have seen the news, but in case you missed it, Vertical Farming Podcast has merged with the amazing team at iGrow News to create the AgTech Media Group. So there's a lot happening with us as we consolidate our forces to bring you some of the best news from the world of indoor farming and AgTech. So stay tuned to hear more about what we have planned. But you can learn more by visiting agtechmediagroup.com. Naturally, this podcast and following what Sepper and Mark are doing over at iGrow News. If you happen to be a first time listener, if this is your first time listening to the show, thank you so much for taking a chance on this show. I value your time and I don't take it lightly when you spend an hour of it listening to the stories that we share on this podcast. And I'm really appreciative and I hope you stick around and come back. In case you missed last episode or any of the episodes from season nine, please check them out. We had great conversations with Carla Garcia from Hort Americas, Jonah Kralmachek from Microgreens Consulting, Christopher Tomlinson from Seasony, Jessica Gomez de la Rosa from Origins, Native Asegi of Microclimates, Cody Jernell of Veg Inc., Harvest Returns, Chris Raleigh, Tinia Pina of Renewable, Rob Van Stratton of Skytree, Ralph Weir of Zindu, Kenobi Tech's Robin Vincent, Sirthon's Lottie Van Rijn, Mary Catherine Scala of Freight to Plate and Nick Bateman of Grow Pura. That's an exhaustive list, but we had some fantastic conversations. So if you missed any of those, please check them out. As we kick off season 10, as you heard in the beginning, special thanks to our season 10 title sponsor, Bio520. As I've said before on past episodes, I live and breathe by the feedback I get from you as the community. So if you are enjoying this podcast, if you've enjoyed a past episode and you have not left us a review, please do so at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. As you can see, it's an easy to remember URL and it'll make it easy for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast player. I look for these on a regular basis and as they come in, nothing excites me more than to read this out on a future episode. Remember that these episodes are going to be full of great takeaways and as a listener, I want you to focus all your energy on our conversation. So rest assured, following this episode, you can always visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com to read the full show notes for each episode, which includes all guest links as well. So excited to be back in the saddle. We have so many great guests lined up for you this season, and we're in the process of getting some more signed up and recorded, and I can't wait to share those with you. Just to give you a sneak peek, we have Victor Kulsar of Veles Farming, Joe Schwartz, Daniel Plant of Plant Dynamics, and Alex Babich of Neurovine, just to name a few. So make sure you hit that follow and subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. Okay, enough from me. Before we get into this uninterrupted conversation with Felipe, here are a few words from the amazing partners that support this show. 
Whether you're starting up or scaling up, Indoor AgCon is the key to cultivating your business growth. Entering its 11th year, the largest trade show and conference for vertical farming, greenhouse operations, and controlled environment agriculture returns to Caesars Forum Conference Center in Las Vegas on March 11th and 12th, 2024, and co-locates with the National Grocers Association show. The expo floor has expanded significantly to bring together even more new product resources and business solutions to explore. You'll also hear from top experts, including CEOs, growers, investors, and other experts during the full-scale educational conference. And don't miss out on valuable networking events connecting you with your peers, grocers, and other potential new business partners. As always, I'm grateful for this partnership with Indoor Icon. Vertical Farming podcast listeners can save an additional 20% off already discounted early bird full access conference pass rates with our promo code VFP. Learn more at indoor.ag. This episode is brought to you by our latest and newest podcast, AgTech Weekly Review, your go-to source for the freshest stories shaping the CEA landscape. Hosted by Natasha Coles. Each week, we dive into the fast-moving world of ag tech where innovation meets sustainability and where every story brings us closer to a greener future. Follow and subscribe on your favorite podcast player or visit agtechweeklyreview.com. So, Felipe Hernandez via Droel. Hopefully, I got that right. Founder and CEO at Hexagro. Thank you so much for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Thank you so much, Harry. I'm happy to be here. So, for the benefit of the, the listener, where are you, you calling in from this evening? Yeah, I'm based in Milan in Italy, Okay, where I have lived since 10 years, yes, okay. in the north of Italy. And where are you originally from? I'm originally from Colombia, Okay, but I grew up in, in Costa Rica and I came to Italy 10 years ago and I have lived in other countries around Europe for brief periods of time, but Milan is where my home is at the moment. Oh, yeah. My ex-wife is Colombian, so I'm very, and I'm Salvadorian, so I'm very familiar with the Latino culture, and I've been to Colombia several. It's a, it's a beautiful country. All right, yeah. that's great. Yeah. And there's so much going on there, you know, in the agricultural sector. I have also dear friends from El Salvador that I appreciate a lot. I haven't been there yet, but I hope I can go. And I have been to Costa Rica once on a, a retreat for it was for just a week to just relax. So it's a beautiful country. And I think we're trying to plan something because Minnesota is a little cold. So we're going to try to get somewhere warm for the winter this year. Yeah. It's not so far away from you. And it's such an amazing place, you know, to reconnect to nature and slow a little, slow the pace of life a little bit and relax. So what brought you to Italy? Well, I'm an industrial designer. My background is in industrial design. And since I was a kid, I was basically in love with Italy for some reason, the food, the arts, the culture, and had this dream of coming to Italy to study. And I had the opportunity to pursue a scholarship to study masters in design. And well, it happened that I found opportunities in here and I stayed. So it's been a long ride already, but I enjoy it every day. And I am a big believer of Italian talent and culture. So I've been to Italy as well with my ex. We've traveled and I've been to Europe. So I've been to, we flew into Venice and then we went all through parts of Italy and we ended up at Rome as well. And so we went, drove through Tuscany. So definitely a beautiful, beautiful country. So much to see there. I think just even to have two weeks there, I felt like it wasn't enough, but there's always I love the beauty of it. I love everything. The, the food, like you said, was amazing. And even just like the design, the aesthetic, <laughs> I found myself like staring at the men who were just so impeccably like well-dressed. I was like, wow, this is like, amazing. Like how, yeah, just the fashion. So everything about it was really like appealing to the eye. Exactly. If you happen to come again, please let me know. I will be happy to show you around. And there's so much going on this topic of vertical farming as well, yeah. especially in the North. So it's worth to give a, a visit. So tell the story about how you're in Italy now. You've studied industrial design. Yeah. Is there farming in your background? Is there agriculture in your background? When did those two worlds start to meet? Well, I'll start from the from zero, let's say. Yeah. I was born in Colombia, as I mentioned, and in my family, there is a lot of background in arts and design because my parents are both designers. So I have always seen them working. And by the end of the 90s, there was a big economic crisis in Colombia that obliged my family 
to migrate to Costa Rica. There were economic prosperity and things. There were a lot of opportunities in that time. So since a very young age, I was like challenged. This was a drastic change for me. And I saw how my parents advanced and were able to overcome all of these situations. So I got a lot from that period of my life. And basically in Costa Rica, when I was pursuing my studies in product design, the bachelor degree, I wanted to do something for my thesis that had an impact. I wanted to approach a topic that had a, some kind of meaning for people. And I discovered that in Costa Rica, as we have this kind of sustainability and natural perspectives all around the world, but very few people know that in Costa Rica, we have one of the biggest per capita pesticide consumptions in the world which is directly related to the high rates of stomach cancer in the population. Wow. So that's where I started to ask myself why this situation and understood that it was because of agricultural practices. So I decided to approach this problem with my design thesis, which was the origin of the Hexagra project. So yeah, basically I understood that the solution was growing without soil. We're talking about 12 years ago, Harry, when this industry was really young, mm -hmm. but the systems of the time were completely not developed. They were very basic and I saw the opportunity to redesign them so that this technology can become part of our daily lives. And that's what I had as a vision since then, making this technology accessible for people and not reserved for industry applications. So back then when you first started, you were still in Costa Rica when this was happening? Yeah, this was part of my bachelor thesis. Mm -hmm. And when I, after I developed the thesis, I made a design inspired by nature, by the way, mm -hmm. so that the system could provide a lot of modularity and flexibility. It was a, as it was a product for growing with aeroponics. Okay. And basically, it received a lot of attention and a mention of honor by the university, which propelled the idea. And I kind of fell in love with the project, but I arrived until there. Okay. okay? So sometime more, and things happened later that allowed me to continue with the project. So talk a little bit about the transition as you were implementing it. You had it as your thesis and you developed the prototype. Did you actually try to bring it to market when you were in Costa Rica or it was just more of like a proof of concept? Yeah, I made a prototype, a functional prototype where I was able to grow a few plants using aeroponics. Okay. The information was very limited at the time and I part of the thesis was to approach the agronomic studies, which were not my background at all. So I studied and I learned a little bit and I was able to grow a few plants. And at the time it was kind of impressive, right? It had a lot of impact there in the university. And then I started working in another sector and I was able to get a scholarship to come to Italy to study a master's in design and engineering okay. and also another master's in innovation and management at the same time. I was able to Italy and enroll in the university. And a little after that, I was invited to a graduation ceremony and they asked us to present projects that were related with sustainability. Mm. It happened that after the presentation, there was a Nobel Prize winner in the audience oh, wow. called Muhan Monasinghe. He shares the Nobel Prize of 2007 with Al Gore. After the presentation, he came to me with his wife and he said, hey, Felipe, we want to talk to you. And he basically said, I love your vision. I love what you have there. What are you thinking to do with it? And I said like, Nothing. I made a thesis. This is it. I just presented today because of the occasion, yeah. but I don't have any particular plans. Yeah. And he said, you should continue with this can make a great impact and it's a good idea. So that gave me, coming from such a person, that gave me a lot of inspiration. Yeah. And I decided to then pursue some contests and competitions. I had the opportunity to participate in the first edition of the Biomimicry Design Challenge in 2015. It's a two-year program. It's a U.S.-based organization called the Biomimicry Institute. 
and they selected Hexagon Project as a finalist because of its inspiration taken from nature using biomimicry methodologies. Mm -hmm. So that kind of accelerator program of two years gave me the first tools to understand about entrepreneurship, how to make a startup project, yeah. how to build a team, because I didn't have any idea of how to pursue such a project, even though I had experience working with my family since a very young age and seeing how they built their company. I was always working with them, but I didn't know how to approach an innovative business model. So it was a great opportunity for us. By the end of the accelerator in 2016, we were granted like 10K. Yeah. And in that moment, I had like a first team member, which decided to support this project. He was the engineer. And we founded Hexagro by the end of 2016. So to yeah. pause there, you know, as you're thinking about this, there's obviously a lot of things that maybe you weren't planning at the time. And obviously a lot of skill sets maybe that you didn't have because you weren't thinking maybe to be an entrepreneur when you first started this. Obviously you're in the mindset of school and in engineering. So when are you thinking that, how do you move? Like I'm just thinking about placing yourself back in 2016, like how you make those decisions about to think about hey, this is something I need to pursue. Hey, this is worth my time. Hey, this is going to be a lot of work. And so I imagine a lot of those emotions are happening for you at that moment. Absolutely. For me, it was a huge challenge being an international student in Italy and trying to pursue like a startup without money, without a family, and with the budget of a student, an international student. Of course, it was a huge goal for me. And I said, why not? I'm going to give it a try and let's see what happens. And things just happened. They opportunities presented, people supported me, people really liked the idea. And I also felt a lot of passion for this topic of agriculture that I didn't know before, but specifically, and I think this is still like my drive, is the huge potential of impact that agriculture has because it's a holistic topic. It regards design, engineering, agronomy, biology, sociology, economics, everything. So for me, it's super stimulating to learn of so different topics mm -hmm. and see how they can change and how they have impacted society since the invasion of agriculture to the green revolution yeah. and envisioning what's next for me is these technological innovations that are going to completely change how we grow and access food. Yeah. So talk about from an engineering perspective, what were some of the design considerations? Cause you, I imagine you looked at a lot of different growing systems that were out there already. You've mentioned hydroponics, aeroponics as well. So talk a little bit about your thought process in terms of deciding what the design that was eventually going to make it into what is Hexagor now? Sure. Well, back then the problems were related to the accessibility, which I think it's still the problem today. Getting this technology into the people's everyday lives. There are people that has never heard about hydroponics. This is unbelievable from my point of view. Yeah. The products were completely ugly <laughs> and for example, they were not modular, yeah. they were not easy to use, they were not automated in a lot of cases back then. Mm -hmm. So because of the nature principles that biomimicry uses, I really took them to the core of our product development principles, which are flexibility, modularity, scalability, decentralization, local production information sharing. All of these are principles that nature uses to save energy and be efficient and provide abundance. So with this mindset, I really tried to develop the product concept as the lead product development of our team, always with sustainability in mind and the flexibility to adapt to the different market needs. I think what would be helpful is to explain the concept of biomimicry. I think maybe some people listening might be familiar with it and I've heard it and I've 
I've been fascinated with the concept before, but from your perspective, like when you think of biomimicry and you think of the importance of reflecting what nature has already provided us from a functionality perspective and from a design perspective, I think those are really important considerations. But maybe how you think about it doesn't have to be like the perfect definition, but when you think of that word, like what comes to mind for you? Absolutely. Well, since billions of years, there is a complex, very smart designer finding solutions to solve problems, to adapt to different needs. These organisms that have evolved over time are able to solve different types of challenges with certain strategies that preserve energy and are very efficient. So if you think about photosynthesis, if you think about the structures of the butterfly wings to generate color or the hexagonal patterns in the honeybee hives, all of those structures and the strategies are meant for a reason, which is to adapt to the environment, survive and provide abundance for all the ecosystem. So those are amazing sources of inspiration that have proved to be practical to solve the humanity's greatest challenges as biomimicry evangelizes. And I think it also has a very powerful approach towards circularity and decentralization because these are concepts of nature. So I think they're quite smart and wise. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. And you can see sometimes when people and companies are designing things that reflect biomimicry principles, there's an elegance in that design. And like you said, you only have to look to nature. You pick up a seashell, you just even like, you know, just see the, the certain patterns that are developing, even slicing open up a tomato or the torus that's in an apple. <laughs> just like there's energy that's moving throughout all of these systems. And I think if we start to pay attention to them, we start to think about how we design things that can work in harmony with nature as well. So I really love that that's a core design consideration for you. Actually, a little curiosity about this topic and why is it related to vertical farming and so on. I don't know if that hydroponics and aeroponics are actually inspired by nature. Hmm. There are plants that grow on the water. Yeah. And that's why the Aztecs, I think, were the first ones to experiment this kind of cultivation method. And in the Amazon, there are plants that grow hanging from trees because they're able to get nutrients yeah. from the mist in the forest. So actually, these technologies were created inspired by nature. Yeah, that's a good point. So when you talk about the design of, of Hexagrow, was the original intent to create something that would be able to be used in like a consum by a consumer in a consumer environment in households? Oh, great. So to explain you a little bit more about the company now, because it's very different from the design project from my thesis, yeah. Hexagre is urban farming platform that has the mission to increase the access of urban farming technologies to allow anyone to grow and access healthy food. That means that as a platform, we are seeking an exponential approach and this is like our moonshot to allow people to reconnect to nature, reconnect to food and reconnect to each other, to people by doing farming. I think we shouldn't try to disconnect people from farming because we have been doing it since thousands of years. Yeah. It's innate for our nature. And therefore, Hexagrass of Platform provides modular hardware that has, of course, urban farming technology, software that allows people to have a great user experience and a community of users to promote urban farming socially and create synergies and transfers of value within this platform. So talk a little bit about the practical application. So what does that mean in the day-to-day? -day? What does that look like from a physical product and how is it used and who is the ideal an intended audience so the listener and the viewer can have an idea specifically like who this is for? Sure, that's a great question. So 
In terms of hardware, we have right now three different product lines. We have one product line, which is for outdoors and it has low tech. It's called Poti and it basically is a modular base tower that doesn't have any much technology in it, but is basically using the fertigation method to grow food with coconut substrate. And this happens to be ideal for balconies and terraces to grow different kinds of salads, small fruits, and vegetables. And it allows, it's like an entry point for people that wants to do urban farming. Then we have a product that we just launched that is called Clovey. Actually, right now it's going in Kickstarter. And this product is a little bit more technological because it has an automation device connected to the internet so you can control it from your phone it is also modular it is scalable it has different kind of finishes it's also kind of a base stackable tower but it provides a container that has a water level sensor it can hold up to 20 liters of water it was the evolution of this last product that i mentioned the price point is slightly higher It also can be upgraded with lights to grow indoors. So the price is also slightly higher and it also provides a digital experience for you to grow. Something important to say, Harry, about our products is that unlike other consumer products in the market, our strategy is to open the platform, open it to everyone possible. That means we don't lock you in with seedlings or seeds. We are designing our system so that you can grow whatever you want. That means that you can buy from your local garden store seeds or seedlings and grow them in our hardware. And how does the software enhance Mm -hmm. the tech or the app enhance the experience? Sure. We are, first of all, building a lot of knowledge based on all of our users' feedbacks. So we have around 4,000 consumer users right now, mostly in Italy and few countries in Europe. And that allows us to build a lot of knowledge and gather data. So basically we filter this data, we process it, and we provide it to the user in an easy to understand manner in the form of a chatbot. So we basically train this chatbot. Right now we are starting to apply the last AI technology on it so that people can find answers fast. So basically we have a directory of plant variants in which you can find the specific information about the plants that you want to grow. And we provide services on top of that for specialized knowledge and yeah, We have a few other tools like notifications, recipes. You can also buy our own guaranteed and tested resources for growing via our e-commerce. So it's about making it easier and more accessible for people. And what's been the feedback? You said you mentioned you've had over 4,000 users across Italy and Europe. And what type of mechanism do you have in place for receiving this feedback? And what do you do with it and how do you use it to to make the product better? Well, we use different strategies because you have the quantitative part and then you have the qualitative part. The quantitative part, we are able to gather it with our more technological products that have sensors integrated. But we also gather feedbacks through the application that we have developed where we actively ask people to give us feedback about the plants, about the system, about their experience. So we basically score this feedback using different methods. And based on these inputs, we prioritize the developments of our products. As they are modular, we are able to upgrade them over time. We are able to improve them and even expand their functionalities because they are meant not for being interrupted and thrown to the trash. They are meant to evolve. This is what nature does, right? So our principle is providing the most flexible and modular solutions possible that you can improve over time with the add-ons and technology that we can add. So yeah, we do also actively interviews and we gather a lot of feedback from our community of users. 
Is there an example that comes to mind of some feedback you've received from your users and how you've implemented it into changes or possible thoughts about how you can improve the product? Absolutely. Actually, this new product that is right now in Kickstarter is called Clovey. First of all, we changed the name because we wanted to call 42.0. But as we are approaching the American market, the name is kind of confusing. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the first thing, right? Yeah. Then, for example, we added, we made a bigger container that can hold all of the parts inside. So it's very compact and easy to distribute through sales channels. And this is one of our competitive advantages and selling propositions, Harry, because we want everyone in the world to be able to access this technology. Therefore, we need products that can be distributed everywhere in the world. But it's not like those little gadgets that allow you to grow three to five plants. These products actually allow you to grow 20, 40 plants, and even more if you buy more than one. So as they are stackable, they're modular, we are able to sell it through big distribution channels that allow us to reach the end consumer in very, very, very broad markets all around the world. Right now, we're starting to step into international markets. And with this new product, we are improving the duration of the water. We are improving, for example, the space of the plants in the vases. We have integrated very, very innovative and new biocomposite materials, for example, made of agricultural waste like rice shells and wood chips that are mixed with bioresins so that we can decrease the use of plastic. We are still using plastic, but that plastic is 100% certified recycled from locally sourced materials. So the sustainability is very strong in there. We are also designing a custom modular parts to improve the functionality, for example, of irrigation of the product. We just integrated into this product an IoT device that allows you not only to connect our add-ons, but any electronic that you want. If you want to buy our lights, you can plug them in into the IoT device. If you want to buy lights from another provider, you can still plug them into the IoT device and control them. So we really want with this product to open urban farming and this technology for all. So for example, last comment what, that I think it's curious is that you can upgrade this tower also for aeroponics. So you can, it allows you to grow in using fertigation or low pressure aeroponics by changing the components. So talk a little bit about the decision to go with the Kickstarter as your uh, source of funding. How did the decision come about? Well, it's a decision mostly taken because of our design thinking approach, which is test fast, crash fast, iterate, measure, and so on. The best way to test the market is with such a product is through a crowdfunding campaign especially because it allows us to reach markets that we are interested to scale up and enter, like the U.S. and the North American market. So without the need of closing big distribution deals and finding certifications and making a bunch of expenses, we can just go faster with the product development by presenting the product already to the end consumer through these crowdfunding platforms that are still working great right now. And they have other kind of requisites because you basically have to show a product that is basically ready to sell yeah. nowadays. It's not like before that you presented like a sketch and everybody was funding it. Yeah. Now you need to show a lot of trust. So our background and our sales allow this trust. And we're basically listening actively to what people are saying in Kickstarter to improve the product before we make investments on mass production. So we are co-creating this product with them. And I think it's a great strategy for starting the development of consumer products, also because of the funding and the support that you can find with these backers. 
Yeah, it seems like you've had success with the campaign and we'll make sure to have a link to it in the show notes as well so the listener and the viewer can look and support the campaign as well and learn more. So how big is the team now? We are 10 people. We are a small team. We are starting our growth stage. It's a very important and particular moment for us right now. But this team is amazing because we have very professional people. It's international. We have people from Turkey, India, Mexico, Italy, of course, myself, from Colombia. So it's really diverse and that gives us an amazing competitive advantage. We also have engineers, agronomists. We have people for marketing, for sales, for product development. So we really are collaborative and we kind of complement and have the key roles right now to be able to scale up. But the important thing here is that they are all believers in our vision, mm. which is having these decentralized communities of urban farmers that can locally source what they consume. So everybody is here because of that, and that's what drives us. What's been the biggest challenge for you as a new CEO, as someone new to entrepreneurship and building a business? Obviously, you mentioned this is not something that you studied and something you've had to learn along the way. So what's that journey been like for you? Well, the journey has been very extensive. For me, it has been a personal journey of transforming, adapting, learning, falling, rising. When we found, after we founded the startup in 2016, I was still working and I was working in the evenings on the project to be able to develop it. I participated to a challenge called Thought for Food. I don't know if you know the organization. They're a very cool foundation. And I met my current co-founder there a few months after establishing the society. Okay. And having the first believers, having the first people believing in this was a huge lesson for me and also a huge challenge to become like a leader. So that one of the main challenges for me has been to develop that mindset, those leadership skills and finding the resources to move forward, finding opportunities and persisting. In 2020, we faced in the first row, the pandemic here in Milan. And it was amazing for me to see that we run out of money. We run out of opportunities. We were trying to sell to commercial spaces these gardens so the employees could grow and so on. That was working. When the pandemic hit, we stayed, we didn't have a business because all of the clients closed their offices. We were kicked out of our own office in a co-working space. Uh -huh. in, we were waiting for a credit that a bank canceled a few weeks after the pandemic started. I didn't have a family that could support me economically. Mm -hmm. And we had around three employees. Mm -hmm. We sat down all together and we told them, what can we do? And the amazing thing here was seeing them support the, us in this journey. And they were able to stay with us and work for free for a few months until we were able to recover and retribute this effort. So I think the biggest challenge is not over. We are used to struggle, to persist. And this is why I'm confident that we're going to make it happen in the future. So yeah, it has been a, an amazing journey and life lesson. So most of the struggle comes from those personal challenges. Yeah, it sounds like you had a lot to go through and it feels like you built a team that believed in the mission and to, to testament to your leadership that they were able to make that sacrifice to stay with you unpaid for that period of time and that you were able to recover from that because a lot of companies, as we know, did not recover. And I think the fact that you've been able to do that and hold on to the company, hold on to the vision and hold on to that mission and keep everyone together moving forward, I think is, is I'm sure it was a really proud moment for you. And it just shows the strength of what you're building. And so as you think about going through experiences like that, 
Have you had relationships with mentors or people that have inspired you in the past that have really given you some guidance for some of these challenges? Absolutely. We couldn't have made it without the support of so many people that also believe in us and our vision. One source of inspiration and support for me was one of my former bosses. He's the CEO of a company called The Orbit. I was working there for a while. They developed aerospace technology. And basically, when I started to work in the Hexagro project, he mentored me for the development of the business model. And after a few years that I was able to continue growing the project, he decided to become an advisor of the company and an investor in the company. So he really advises us, supports us, and we have an advisory board composed of C-level professionals that fill the gap of experience. So that support has been of great value for us and continues to be one of our greatest assets. What is a tough question that you've had to ask yourself recently? Well, I think it's basically about how to find the resources for us. I don't know if you're aware of the startup environment in Italy, but in Italy, there is not a strong investor culture. It's hard to find financing for hardware models. And one of the main questions has also been how to differentiate Hexagon from the rest and convey our message, our story, our unique selling proposition in the right way. I think that lately we are really achieving that with the platform approach, explaining how it works, telling the story. But that's one of the greatest questions that I have had to answer lately. How to differentiate Hexagon from the rest? How to explain our vision and make people visualize it? And I think that lately we are making great progress with that. Yeah, I think what's interesting is how you built it up slowly over time and how you were thinking about approaching it, as you mentioned earlier, from a biomimicry perspective, building those relationships early with the prototypes and with the Podi version, which allowed the consumer to get their hands on it, work with it, which has now been upgraded to Clovey. And I think what's interesting in seeing, obviously seeing the success you've had with the Kickstarter, I think it speaks to this slow and steady approach that you've taken to build up this community, to iterate, to get feedback and to continue to improve the product. So a lot of times people are looking for the, maybe the fact that you didn't receive like big funding or big money, it was maybe a good sign because then you, the money may not have gone to the right place. So, so I think making it through challenges like COVID, making it through being in a country that's not your homeland, not having community and still succeeding. And then slowly over time, building this international team that you have, I think says a lot for the progress that you're making. So I think, I feel like the path that you're on has been working so far. So I think continuing where you're at and continuing to get that feedback and continuing to get that, that support from your, what I call your power users, right? Your super fans, because that's really going to be helpful for you to help spread the word. They're almost an extension of your marketing team. That's something amazing, Harry. And it's something that I really don't see in vertical farming industry, to be honest, is the sense of community, yeah. of engaging community in the food system, yeah. in the vision of having a sustainable food system. And it's also very interesting that you mentioned about the funding, because yes, maybe we didn't get millions and millions in funding yet. But the ones who did, I already crashed. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the slow approach is not bad. And learning and being able to change the course, adapt to the different situations, I think is great. Of course, learning from the experiences of other people, thanks to, for example, channels like this podcast is great. And it's very necessary, I think, for everyone to continue learning and sharing experiences. So as we, you may know what's coming next in terms of the question, because you've mentioned you are a supporter of the show. So I really appreciate that because every time I get to meet and engage with someone who's been listening, who spends an hour of their time or maybe more, depending on how many episodes you've listened to, I'm glad that the show has been providing value for you. Um, and so I always appreciate that. So 
obviously because of the nature of the audience and they're your fellow CEOs and founders and peers in vertical farming. And you know, you've you've carved out a specific niche within the consumer market, but do you have any comments, any feedback, any thoughts for your peers in the vertical farming industry, whether it's people getting started, whether it's people that are already in vertical farming or anything that you want to say to connect with that audience? Absolutely. Well, I'm a big critic of vertical farming industry. <laughs> I love to be here in the podcast to share that point of view and also a great admirer. So what I think is that vertical farming faces huge scalability challenges. We need to think about how can people in the world access healthy food? I think that what I'm seeing in the industry now is a lot for niche markets, a lot for high-end consumers, a lot of technology being developed by companies that also want to grow. So I don't see like an scalable approach yet in the industry. So I would really advise that these companies should really focus on the results on the market and focus on developing strategies to scale up and really make a serious impact because it has been very overhyped. It has been very, very, very promoted with marketing and technology and robots and okay, but in the end, how many people are getting this food into their plates? That's the question. And I really, well, I don't want to criticize only because the technology is great. The initiatives are amazing. That is the findings, the research. I think there should be more collaboration in order to have something like happened in the Green Revolution. There needs to be less kind of IP and companies want, wanting to lead the technology and be the only ones in the top of the game and act more like farmers do, which is collaborating, co-mentoring in different projects. And you can see this very clearly in industries like the greenhouse industry and other similar industries. I hope that we can offer a different alternatives with this technology. Harry, I hope we can decentralize this technology. For me, vertical farming is like computing in the 80s. Mm. A huge room with a huge computer <laughs> accessible for the top scientists that only few companies can afford. Okay? What we want to do is making the laptop that everyone can ha access. So, yeah. The message is, how can we create synergies between the different models and systems? And how can we create a more collaborative industry? I really love that approach. I really love that mindset, this idea of, and I say it a lot on the show, the saying is that rising tides lift all boats. And so if we all have that mindset of doing the best we can to make sure we're all communicating, we're all sharing best practices and not feeling so insular and, and feeling like we need to protect our RIP, I think because of the need for that we have on this planet to give people access to fresh food, obviously one farm in someone's house is not going to solve like the world hunger problems. But I think if we, everyone does their part and then everyone contributes then everyone, it's a little steps that we can all take to remember our connection to the, our food sources and not feeling like fresh food equals going to having to go to a market and getting packaged food, you can actually grow at home and you don't have to be in a rural environment. You don't have to be out. You don't have to own a farm. You can do it at home. And there's ways to your point with the technology that you're creating with at Hexagrow, I think for people to at least begin to reawaken and reconnect in terms of their relationship to fresh food. That's completely right, Harry. And I would like to share with the audience, why do you need to grow food? And I would like to share a few principles. First of all, growing food can potentially save you money. Second, growing your own food results in less waste. Half of fresh food is wasted by the end of supply chain. And this also happens in vertical farming supply chains. The food that you grow locally is guaranteed to be fresh. 
the food that you buy from supermarkets is actually already lacking nutrients. We're talking about between 15 and 40% less vitamin C. And this is all from scientific papers. Commercially, grown food doesn't offer the highest amount of nutrients. And basically, when you grow your own, exactly what happens with this food. What you gave it to the plant, the conditions that it was made on, and that makes you feel more comfortable. And basically, growing your own food makes you happier. It's an extremely social activity. You relieve your stress. You do physical activity. And basically, the sensation, and I don't know if you have grown your own, Harry, but the sensation of eating what you grow is amazing. Yeah. And even more, sharing what you grow. Yeah. It's an amazing feeling. So gardening is simply good for your health. And I think it's part of our innate nature. We did it for thousands of years. And unfortunately, we are forgetting about it. Yeah, all great points. And I really want to thank you again for reaching out and for staying in contact with me and finding the right time to tell this story. So I'm excited to share this with our audience and I, and I appreciate all the work that you're doing. And I applaud your journey because it sounds like it's definitely been a, not an easy one. And then you've been persistent and just continuing to grow. So I'm wishing you a lot of success with the company. Thank you so much, Harry, for the opportunity to talk about what we do in your podcast. I think it's a great activity what you're doing. It's really inspiring to hear from other entrepreneurs and other stories. And I'm really happy to share mine. And I hope that we can talk again in the future and tell you the latest news. So check out our Kickstarter campaign. Join our community of urban farmers, follow us in the social media, and please grow your own. <laughs> Thank you so much, Harry. Yeah, well, so we'll have the links to everything, including the website hexagrow.io. Thanks again for your time, Felipe. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening. Eternally grateful to my guests for spending that precious hour of time with me and sharing their story. As always, full show notes available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There you'll find summaries, key takeaways, and resources mentioned, and also a back catalog of all our past episodes. Special thanks to our title sponsor, Bio520. Bio520 is based on the deep knowledge of plants developed over centuries across Asia, extracting some of the very best minerals in the world from the lush, rich mountain ranges in Japan, and using highly effective non-chemical agricultural practices in combination with the most advanced cutting-edge biophysics technology, Bio520 is one of the most advanced, truly organic mineral compounds your crops will ever experience. Learn more at bio520usa.com. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. To learn about the five key pillars of a successful podcast that every business owner needs to know prior to launching, visit fullcast.co and watch the free video. As a reminder, if you've enjoyed this episode or past episodes, do me a favor, leave me a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Nothing makes me happier than to read those out on future episodes. And don't forget to tune in next week for a conversation with yet another fascinating leader from the world of vertical farming. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To hear all past episodes and read the episode summaries, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published. 